As I share this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, just your anointing on this message, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's go. Well, yeah, kind of going to start after Jesus was born, after Christmas Day. After Jesus was born, he was circumcised on the eighth day, and he was brought to the temple by Mary and Joseph to be dedicated. And this is according to the law. Leviticus 12 talks about this. The firstborn um, as a special dedication for the firstborn male of every family. And as part of this, this presentation and dedication, typically there'd be a sacrifice of a lamb. Now, Leviticus 12 also made a provision for those who couldn't afford it, because the reality is there are some who just cannot afford that kind of provision. And they were, they were allowed to substitute the lamb with two pigeons. And in fact, we're told in Luke chapter 2, that's exactly what happened with Jesus and Mary and when they offered up the child Jesus. You know, again, I think it's important that we remember that, that Jesus was not born into power and privilege. He was born amongst the oppressed and an impoverished people. And so here they are, they offer two pigeons, and they've gone through the various rules and rituals and rites, and um, they, you know, they've been a very exciting time for them this day. Now at this time, in Jerusalem, there was an aged man. Uh, he was very close to the Spirit of God. He was able to hear things from the Holy Spirit. His name was Simeon. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that even though he was old, even at this point in time, he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And on the very day that, that Joseph and Mary are in the temple, he feels this quickening from the Holy Spirit. And, and the Spirit prompts him and says, go to the temple. And, and, and Simeon goes and he enters the temple and he's looking around and then suddenly he sees Mary and Joseph holding baby Jesus. And the Spirit of God says, that's the one. That's the Messiah. That's the one who's going to rescue Israel, who's going to bring salvation to the nations. And Simeon takes this child in his arms, this Christ child in his arms, and he prays this prophetic prayer. Lord, now you can set your servant free to go in peace, to die. As you have promised, for these eyes of mine have seen the Saviour whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. And this morning, what I want to do is I actually want to focus on one line of this prophecy, the line where he refers to the child, to enlighten the nations, a light to enlighten the nations. You see, one of the boldest claims that I can make as a Christian is this, that Jesus is the light of the world. And I really believe that. Jesus is the light of the world. And for me, it's not just some religious cliche. It's not bumper stick evangelism. This, this is something that's very, very fundamental, substantive to my, my belief. And I think for all of us, how, how, how we believe it, how I believe it, you'll see that, in fact, it makes it an audacious, daring, bold claim to make. You see, I believe what the Scripture tells us when it says that Jesus is the light of the world. It's nothing tame or docile. We, we have made it kind of bumper stick evangelism, and, and we sing the songs, and we, we say it very glibly. But there's nothing tame or docile about what Jesus was saying, what the Scripture says when Jesus is the light of the world. It's so easy for us to slip into sloganism. But we really need to, to understand the depth of this. The, 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 this is just not some nice sentimental thing. This is a statement that is bold 
world-encompassing. It's an audacious, audacious claim which is really saying this, that all of history and all of humanity are informed and interpreted by the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Let me say that again. All of history and all of humanity are informed and interpreted by the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there's a bold claim. The all of history interpreted by Jesus of Nazareth. When I say that Jesus is the light of the world, that enlightens nations, I'm say, that he is the light of the world, I'm saying that I believe that Jesus is the light of everything. And, and I believe it in such a way that if I am wrong, then I live most, if not all of my life, according to a big mistake. I'm wandering through life like a lost soul. I mean, Jesus is either enlightens the world or, or I've got everything totally and utterly wrong. It's that big a claim. It's that big a claim. See, I'm playing for the higher stakes in this. I've got a lot riding on this for it being true. So I so said, what do I mean specifically when I say this? When I believe what Simeon said, that he is the light that enlightens the nations. You see, you've got to remember there are so many other references to, to in the, in the new, particularly in the New Testament, but in the Old as well, and, and especially in the Gospel of John, about Jesus in one way or another being the light of the world. And of course, it, it means many things. And one thing I, I think it means is this, that civilization before Christ and civilization in contrary to Christ is living in a form of darkness. Civilization before Christ and civilization in contradiction to Christ is living in darkness. In other words, they're mostly ignorant about the nature of God and the nature of the meaning of life. Or another way to get a little bit more different and approach it slightly different this morning is to say that, well, Cain was wrong. Cain was wrong. See, if I believe that Jesus is the light of the world, then I believe Cain was wrong. But most people don't. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible tells a story. It begins with, we all know where it begins with Adam and Eve. And they had two sons, the elder Cain and the younger Adam, Abel. Cain was a tender of fields. He plowed fields. He was harnessing agricultural for potential, which is really real development of civilization. The younger Abel, he was a nomadic herdsman. He tended flocks. He, and uh, there arose a competition between these two young men. There was a hostility between them. And in fact, God, so much so that it concerned God, that he warned Cain. He said, listen, sin, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you, and I love this scripture, the whole sermon in here, but you, you must master it. But we know the story. Cain didn't master the sin of rivalry, the sin of competition that had been crouching at the door. And the Bible tells us that Cain rose up in the field and killed Abel. But that, that's not the end of the story. Cain gets interrogated by God. And, and, and Cain basically lies to God. I mean, he's already lied to himself. Now he's lying to, lying to God. And he says, listen, it really comes down to this. I am not my brother's keeper. And, and, I, and I thought about this. You know, I, I think there kind of would have been a process going through his head. Was, you know, this guy's not really my brother. He's, he's, he's not like me. He doesn't understand what I need. And, and, and he's actually going to take away from me. And, 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 you know, and, and he started to build a case up against him. You know, a case against his brother. 
his brother was against him. And that, that for, for, for Cain to get on, for Cain to be in the world, it wasn't just enough for Cain to succeed. He had to deal with Abel. For, for his flourishing, for his destiny, something had to be done. And so this evil grows in Cain's heart to where he finally kills his brother. The Bible says after this, he, went, he moved east to Eden. Now in the Bible, whenever you read a story, there's a biblical thing of something and he's going east, it's always moving away from God. So, you know, that's just, and, and he moved to east. And it says that he founded the first city. He founded the first city. Genesis chapter 4. And, and, and so what the Bible is showing us is that, that the city of God, that uh, was opposed to God, was founded on competition and on killing brothers. It was saying that we lay a foundation of civilization with competition and with, with um, really all civilization is built on the assumption that Cain was right. That the only way that we can win is through violence and power and domination and control and being the top dog. That's just the way things are. You know? If I want to win, I want to win in life, and others around me just have to be beaten. It's me versus the world. Just the way the world is. And, and you know, come on, Trent, you're naive if you believe it's any other way. The nice guy does not win. You know, you've got to demand your share to live. That's the way of Cain. But if you believe that Jesus is the light of the world, see, this is why this is big stuff. Here you are, you're on holiday, and Trent dumps all this stuff on you. Come on, I've got to think. Man, that was yesterday. <laughs> that was Friday. But if you believe that Jesus is the light of the world, then you realize that before Christ and all civilizations that now exist that are not in Christ, are in contradiction to Christ, are living in a form of darkness. Jude said this. Jude, the very brother of Jesus, who writes a brief epistle, a letter in the Bible, and he says this, they have gone the way of Cain, headed for an everlasting gloom and darkness. See, listen carefully. Jesus is not a flashlight to illuminate our way through the darkness. Jesus is the light of God. Jesus is the end of darkness. Jesus is the end of darkness. He is the dawn of a new day. He's not just a flashlight in the darkness. He's a new sun rising. And here's another one. Jesus is not the taillights of a 747 whisking us off away to our chosen heaven. But Jesus is the dawn of a new day after a long, dark night. Jesus is the sunrise of a new civilization, if you want it. The name of that new civilization is called the kingdom of God. And the Bible is clear and declares it. To come to the light is to come and to be and being citizens of the kingdom of God. This morning when we sing Jesus is the light of the world, we're not just making some pleasant little statement about Jesus. We are declaring that the whole of civilization, the whole of world, everything has changed. There's a new sheriff in town, if you like, but that's not a really good analogy because Jesus doesn't run as a sheriff. But there's a new day, dawn, everything that was gone it's old. It says, you know, all things have passed. The new has come. And the new has come in the light of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of Cain. Not the reign of man. But the kingdom of God has come. There is freedom. There is joy. There is hope. There is light. 
Now, I've told you the story of Cain, which leads to darkness and pre-Christian civilization, but I do want to balance that out a little bit this morning because it wasn't all darkness. You know, there was Cain, which led to Noah, and the days of Noah didn't solve the problem, and so the, fl- and the flood cleaned things up. It wasn't short and long after that, they were all back at it again. So then God ultimately began to sol- solve it through Abraham, and we know his story. But you know, there has always been some light. There were lesser lights in pre-Christian civilizations. If you like, if you think of the world as like a night sky, and there were some lights. There were shining lights in pre-Christian times. You know, I, I think, you know, again, here's some stuff to think about. Plato and Aristotle. They were stars of Gentile genius who understood basic things about how life is. Pursuing life was worthy of an examined life, a life dedicated to truth and good and beautiful. We think of the Magi and the nativity scene. They were from Persia. Yet they understood what was happening. And it's interesting that the church fathers borrowed from some of these thinkers to understand the Trinity and other theological mysteries. Then there was a second light, a greater light. If if you like, if the pagans acted like stars in the sky, then there was a greater light, a greater revelation, which was the Hebrew prophets. And they were like the light of the moon. The light from Moses and the prophets was like the moon. Much brighter than the starlight, but there were still lots of shadows from it because it wasn't fully day yet. In the pre-Christ night sky, there were lesser because Jesus had not yet come. And when Jesus comes, he's not starlight. I mean, you could navigate by stars a little bit. And we mustn't ever think that Jesus is just another, just the brightest star in the sky. Jesus is not the moon. Jesus is the dawn of the day. He's the dawn of the new day. In the, in the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi, prophecy concerning the Messiah, he says this, he'll be like this, we sang it in one of the um, hymns this morning, he'll be like the son of righteousness, for the son of God's covenant faithfulness is ra- rising, and in his rays there will be healing. Wherever the rays of the son of dawn comes, the new day of the Messiah falls, it brings healing. The harms that afflicted on one another, the harms that we fearfully live for in the night are healed when we choose to live in the light of Jesus Christ. And it's fascinating. Jesus, John describes it like this. You know, it just grips my heart. And, and, and I've said this before. I think, you know, 75, 80% of my sermons this year, I preached John 1. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Matthew and Luke, that's where we get our Christian versions of Christmas from. It's interesting. Mark doesn't even give us a a birth story, a nativity narrative. No childhood accounts. He starts with the baptism of Jesus. So it's Matthew and Luke where we draw our Christmas stories from. John's account is much more theological, much more abstract. But for me, in some ways, it's more powerful. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning. And all things were made by him. And apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shine in the darkness. And the darkness, and the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome. And then he goes on the verse 9. And this is the true light which has come into the world, which enlightens every person. Jesus tells us when, sorry, John tells us when Jesus came into the world, he brought such light that it enlightened every person. In other words, when we stand in the light of Christ, we bring our life to the life of Christ, which is faithfully given in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the church maintained that whole witness of the life of Christ. 
Kayleen prayed it this morning, his birth, his life, his teaching, his miracles, his ministry, his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. When we live our lives in the light of that light of Christ, we become enlightened. And in the light of Christ, we're learning to see the truth, the good, the beautiful. When we're living in darkness, we make mistakes. Our minds play tricks on us, doesn't, don't they? This, well, a couple of weeks ago, Sue was doing what Sue does with her ancestry and pottering around and stalking people all over New Zealand <laughs> and the world. And she found one of my cousins that I haven't had any contact with since, well, 50 plus years, 50 yeah, plus years. Uh, and um, it made me, um, reminded me of a story of when I was about eight or nine and we were leaving at the bakery where her father worked in Inglewood. And we were going around to the sh her, uh, a shop where my uncle ran various businesses from. We were both about eight or nine. It was uh, one or two in the morning. As I said, our, my life when I was growing up was a little bit different. Uh, anyhow, it was middle of the night. A and Inglewood is a small New Zealand town, if you know Inglewood. I mean, you could spit in a strong wind and not hit someone. You know what I mean? And so we started walking down the street, these two eight, nine-year-olds. And, of course, when you do that and you have shadows and it's dark and there's no cars, and you start telling each other stories, don't you? Scary stories. And we scared ourselves both stupid. And we were, we were so terrified of all the shadows because there was darkness. And even though there was lights on and moon, there was still darkness and there were still shadows and there were still things that, that, that began. And so we ended up running down the middle of the street convinced there was someone just behind us to get us. Because you see, once you start telling yourself a lie, it grows. But in the truth, uh, but in the light of Christ, we're able to discern the truth, the good and the beautiful. And this is what I mean when I say Jesus is the light of the world that enlightens the nation and lights every person. When we live our lives in the light of the light of Jesus Nazareth, we're able to see, truly see and discern the true good the true beautiful, and we're able to discern from the light that Christ gives us what is true and what is a lie, what is wrong and what is right, what is beautiful and what is ugly. And as followers of Jesus' way, we choose to walk in the light of Christ in the fullness of good, truth and beauty. See, in him was life. The life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. We step into that light and find good and truth and beauty in Christ. And, and your sins are forgiven. You become a new person in a new kingdom and your sins are forgiven. They are shed. They are shed like a, a, um, an insect that sheds its, its, its skin and walks into it. That's us. We, we, we're beautiful. We're beautiful. I may not look it on the outside, but hey, I'm beautiful. <laughs> Deal with it. We're beautiful because we're created in the image of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. I believe that with everything I am. And I'm risking everything I am on this statement. Jesus is the true light of the world. He was coming into the world and enlightens every person. He is the light of the nations and he is the light. He's the light. Is the light of the world. Amen. Jenny, do you want to come up and light the Christ candle?
On this last day of Advent, we light the Christ candle. From John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband will, but born of God. The word became flesh and make his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Just sing on that for a minute. Let's just close our eyes. Jesus, light of the world. Light of the world. Mm. See, we don't disregard what's going on in the world around us. It's chaos, it's darkness, there's pain, there's hurt. But we are in a new kingdom. We live in the kingdom of God. The result of that is that we don't disregard what's going on in the world. We reach out to share the light and the life of God with those in that. But that, that world isn't our world. Our world is the eternal world created by Jesus, where the light shines eternally, bringing joy and hope and peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, for the first three centuries, people, the Christians didn't join the army. And they held on to Isaiah where it says that your um, spears will be bolted in the plows. And they said the world might be doing weapons, but we don't because we're not part of that world. We're part of the eternal world. And Father, I pray that we would live with that kind of mindset that we would live in the awareness of the light of the world who enlightens the world who has overcome the darkness and father i pray that we would behold the truth and the beauty and the power of the kingdom of god but father not merely behold it but that we would then share it with those around us that we would become messengers of the light by simply loving the way you loved, caring the way you cared, showing compassion the way you showed compassion, bringing healing the way you brought healing. Father, we thank you that we stand in the glorious light of eternity and that, Lord, we now get to share that with those around us. And I pray this Christmas, this Christmas, this Christmas will be a time of light Lord, I know some situations are hard, some are painful, some are sorrowful. 
But Lord, I pray that your light would shine into each one of them, bringing a measure of eternity's hope and joy into it, Father. Thank you, Lord.